0: When you look at the book of Romans and and the book of Romans is, you know, Paul wrote a bunch of letters to uh, a bunch of churches. In fact, I believe it's seven churches. And there's an interesting um, uh, dynamic there because Jesus wrote to seven churches, right, in Revelation and it turns out uh, that the epistles that we have preserved for us, that there are seven churches specifically uh, that, that Paul wrote to and and um, and there there uh, many of them are similar. Uh, Romans is a little bit different. It's it's a lot longer uh, than the other ones. You have you know uh, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know those are you know short three, four, five, six chapter uh, things. Um, uh, and and uh, but but Romans is different. And one of the reasons why it's different is because. The other places were places, the other places where Paul wrote to were places that he knew that he had been to. In fact he was instrumental in the planting of a lot of those churches. And so the people there knew uh, him, they, they knew of his ministry, um, they had received from him, um, He had he had established the church perhaps, he had set up the leadership, he had done a lot. Romans was different in that it was a church that did not know Paul very well, specifically, and and so in that sense, he wants to declare unto them in this letter. It's kind of a let me let me give you the whole thing. Let me give you just as it, absolutely as much as I can. And so for that reason, it is uh, it's this kind of big presentation of the message of God it's the message of the gospel it's the it's the condition of man it's it's the things that the, the god is that he that he has done what man has done and what god did about it and what we need to do in terms of how we live our lives and so it's it's kind of um it's it's kind of like a that type of 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 take on on what he wants to get into their hearts and minds. He wants them to fully understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and he covers the full gamut of the issues such as salvation, grace, love, faith, righteousness, sin, and judgment. And a couple of those, as I as I ran through that list, there's a couple of those that were a lot of places today you don't want to you don't want to hear a lot about those things. The first part of the list, oh yes, we want to hear about the gospel, we want to hear about grace, we want to hear about love, we want to hear about faith and righteousness. Sin and judgment, not so much, not so much. Um, And so tonight we come to the judgment of the Lord, and there's a a lot of, of Christians that only want to talk about the love of God. And then there are some Christians that only want to talk about the judgment of God. And so you have these two extremes, right? There's these two extremes. But when you read, when you look at the extremes in Scripture, if you really read the totality of the Scriptures, you probably find that there's a a middle ground, that there's a kind of a balance between those two extremes. And so we don't want to be the type of Christians that, only understand the love of God and don't understand the judgment of God. And so we need to understand these are both attributes of God, and so He has both. He has love, He is love, but He also is a, is a judge and He's a righteous judge, and He's going to judge righteously according to everything in every single person. So tonight we talk about God's righteous judgment. And we'll find that even in God's judgment, there is the grace of God, the mercy of God that is offered to each person. So the first point, if you're taking notes tonight, is this, God is the judge. God is the judge. Let's pick it up, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So, what we learn in these opening, chap- opening verses of chapter 2 here, and of course, again, there weren't chapters and verses. These were added in later for our ease of use in, in handling the Scriptures and finding the Scriptures. But in this particular portion that we've read tonight, the thing that, that sticks out, the thing that we need to know is that God is a judge. He is the judge. And um, in life... You know, we like to we like to judge. <laughs> you know, and there are things I want to make a distinction. There are things that we judge, and we need to judge. We need to we need to use wise judgment in our own lives in terms of how we proceed in our lives. And we use judgment when we're in traffic. We use judgment, we, you know. So so let's not confuse semantically those words, but in terms of 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 judging people. Uh, and, and 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 certainly judging people in terms of their their soul and what's going to happen with them, there's one judge, and, and 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 that's the Lord. God is the judge. Paul reveals uh, that God is the judge, and in the previous chapter, he's talked about the Gentiles, and he's talked about how they are under the wrath of God that they have done these things that they have gone after. Uh, you know they have committed themselves to this idolatry and and going after these things, and, and so far as to getting involved in things that are not even natural they 've gone away from the created order of things, the natural use of things they 've gone away from worshiping God and all the way to worshiping the created thing and that 's ultimately where you go if you 're not worshiping god you 're ultimately uh, end up worshiping the created thing because every other thing that exists is a created thing. And God is the creator and he is not created. So if you go away from worshiping God, you end up worshiping the created and you've set your life on a lower level. So this is the this is what's happened to the Gentile. But if you're if you're a Jewish person and you're reading these opening portions of Romans, you might think, oh well yeah the Gentiles are they're a mess, you know. The, you know, look at what they've done. You know, they, 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 they don't get it. They don't know how to do things. They don't get this whole thing that we have a God and we need to serve God, and 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 so on and so forth. So a Jew could think, "Whew, wow! So far, so good. I'm reading this. I'm in the clear. I'm I'm good. The Gentiles are in deep trouble, but I'm a Jew because we are the Jews and we have the Word and we have the Law. We have the Torah, and so we're uh Okay, well, this is a false sense of hope if you read if you read this and get the sense of what Paul is saying here he He speaks to the man who would take that position of oh look at look at them i'm i'm better than them and and um at least i 'm not in their condition. He would say, Man, you who judge, oh man it's kind of a rhetoric it's a it's a it 's a device to say, Hey, you out there who judge.' I'm not not thinking of anyone particular. I'm thinking of like pretty much everyone. Yeah, you out there who judge, Paul says, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. This is what Paul says. So when when you judge, when you step into that place of being the judge, when you step into that place of being the judge, then you have really kind of indicted yourself that you are not realizing that you're judging someone else but you have done the same things that you do the same things it may not be the exact same thing but you do the same things you're a worker of iniquity in that sense as as we would understand the gospel being communicated when you set yourself up as judge then you lose you have no excuse We condemn ourselves when we judge. Why? Because we do the same things. The Jew is in just as an indefensible position as the Gentile. When he condemns somebody else, he condemns himself. And so in that sense, the Jew and the Gentile both sin and fall short. So those who judge, judge themselves. And so Paul's trying to paint a picture and he's going to paint a picture in this epistle that, that, that man, whoever you are, are just in a hopeless situation without God. Without the grace of God, without the love of God, without God's answer to your life, you're just in a heap of trouble and you're literally a, a, an object of the wrath of God. You stand in a position in, 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 as an object of wrath. And this judgment that you would judge others and not realizing that you yourself do the same things is contrasted with God's judgment in that it is a perfect judgment. It's a judgment based on truth. Look at that verse three. And do you think this, O man, you who judge and practice such thing and doing the same thing, will you escape the judgment of God? But we know, we'll go back to verse 2, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Verse 3, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing this, doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. So he says, look, you want to put, you want to, before you get, before you go too quick to say, okay, I'm going to stand in the place of the judge. I'm going to put myself up on the behind the with the gavel and the robe and the whole thing. I'm gonna do it. And and it's what's interesting is is this is where man really wants to see themselves. And they wanna see they will go so far as to even judge God. Like, well, I I've actually I read stuff all the time where I can't serve God because because He's you know the god in the old testament did this and he advocated this and this and this and so they set themselves up not only as a judge of man but also of god that somehow that they have a morality they have a, a righteousness they have a truth that surpasses the morality of god and paul would say but we know the judgment of god is according to truth against those who practice the things that he just talked about in chapter one. These things that have left the Gentiles in a heap of a mess, they've left us all in a heap of a mess in that sense. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape? Do you think He wants, Paul was wanting people to stop and think. The word there for think is a word that actually kind of has the idea of kind of thinking, kind of reasoning, kind of looking at things. And and people like to reason themselves right out of, right out from underneath that place of, of being under the judgment of God. There's only one way that you can get out from underneath that place, and that's to accept the righteousness of the Son of God who lived the perfect life for us. There's only one way that you can do that. But man wants to think that there's another way, that, that you know, I'm basically good. I'm, I'm basically a good guy, you know, basically a good girl, you know. The message of the Bible is that you know we're 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 not basically good. We're basically sinners. and walking in sin. We're walking before Christ. We're literally walking in a you know kind of a path, an unbroken course of sin. And that's the biggest difference between the non-believer and the believer. The the non-believer is just walking in an uncourse, an unbroken course of sin. You see, the, the, the person who accepts Christ and comes into, the, comes into the forgiveness, the love, the mercy, the grace of God, has that course that they're walking in, that course of sin, has it broken. And, 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 and they're, they're, they're set free from that. It doesn't mean that they never sin again, but they're set free from that unbroken course because they have the righteousness of Christ they, that has been given to them, the, the gift of God, the, the forgiveness of sins. The, the cleansing of the heart and, the, and all those things that we have as a part of the gospel. He says, do you think that you are going to escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you despise the riches of his of his? Goodness? You know, part of the, one of the things, you know, when a lot of people read the first part of the Bible and they say, you know, well, you know, in the, in the first part of the Bible, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, you know, don't eat from the tree that's in the midst of the garden for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then it seems to me that, you know, this is the reasoning of some, they say, well, it seems to me that they, that they did eat of it and they didn't keel over. Well, there's, there's a couple things happening. Number one, there was a spiritual death that took place, but they physically didn't, didn't die. But th- they, were on, they were on a course towards death at that point. Death, death, the penalty of death entered, entered them. Right. But then there was kind of a, a, a goodness in that. There was kind of a, a grace in that. There was kind of a forbearance in that, in that they didn't. Because God wanted to work a plan that would eventually bring Christ into the world so that, that redemption could be won, that forgiveness could be had, that cleansing from sin, that, that coming out from underneath the judgment of God could actually happen. And so there's a, there's a goodness, there's a forbearance, there's, there's, there's kind of a, a, a patience, if you will, even as people are standing under the judgment of God. And this is also what a lot of people miss. And this is, Paul says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering? He, look, he's saying, he's patient with you. He's, he's forbearing. He's, he's, he, wants to, he wants to bring you to a place of forgiveness. God's desire, we, you talk about the judgment of God and people want to not talk about it. But the problem with that and the, gr- the, the gross error of that is not understanding that even when there's judgment there, that God is trying to work, he's working and he's moving in, and he, his desire for you always is not that you would be under his judgment, but that you would receive him and that you would come to repentance that you would receive the gospel, that we would receive forgiveness, that we would come to that place where we have accepted the perfect life of Christ in place of ours. You know, we've, we, we, we've accepted that. And so and that's, that's the Lord's desire. So no matter where we are in our lives, no matter what's happening in our lives, God's desire is always to bring us to repentance, to bring us back from wherever we've gone. From wherever we've strayed to, he wants to bring us to repentance. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. If you understand it, if you understand it. Let's move on. God is the judge. God will judge. Let's pick it up, verse 5. It says this, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent in, in heart, You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no partiality with God and so God is the judge and God will judge part of an understanding properly understanding the gospel is that God is a judge and there will be he is going to judge <laughs> if God is not going to judge, then there really kind of the gospel breaks down a little bit, and there's a lot of people that want to go to that place where you know God's not really a judge and He's not really going to judge. No, God, God is judge, and He's a righteous judge. His judgment is based on truth, and He will judge. There will be a judgment. It's called in the scriptures the day of the Lord, or as modern uh, popular culture likes to refer to it, and they kind of use spinoffs of this, but Judgment Day, right? There's a Judgment Day. There is a day of, of, of accounting. There is a day of, of, of judgment. It seems, in the meantime, it seems as if there is no judgment, but there is, and it's coming. And this is kind of the beauty of the gospel that God who is perfect, who is holy, who is the righteous judge, that that he does stand as the judge of sin, that that the sinner does stand in that place of the the judgment of God. But he's provided a way out. He's provided a way for forgiveness. He's he's provided a way that, that we would come into right relationship with him. God in his kindness has offered the perfect sacrifice for sin and given the opportunity... The time to repent and receive forgiveness. He's given so much time. Given, you know, Paul, uh, Peter put it this way. God is not slow. He's not slack, right, concerning his promise. What promise? The promise of judgment day, the promise of his return. When he's coming back, he's coming with the rod of iron. He's coming as, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back in that place of the righteous judge which is the hope of the Christian but for the unsaved for the person Paul says God's not slack in his promise of that but he's patient not willing that anyone would perish but that every single person would come to everlasting life that every single person would come to that place so he's so he's provided so he's kind he's provided the perfect sacrifice the perfect sin sacrifice That after this sacrifice, no other sacrifice needs to be made on on, uh, behalf of sins. Unlike the Old Testament law where there were repeated, repeated, repeated sacrifices. Jesus came and was the perfect sacrifice. And after his resurrection and ascension, God allowed the sacrificial system to last another 38 years before he allowed Titus and the Roman uh, uh, army to come into Jerusalem and destroy the city, destroy the temple, destroy. And from that moment forward, there hasn't been those sacrifices being made. There was one sacrifice made. Mm -hmm. And he's given people the opportunity, the time to repent and receive forgiveness. But he will judge men according to what each has done. And, and God's judgment is is righteous. it is right on. it is right. it is not partial. it is it's not weak, it's strong, it's right. Paul says, but in accordance with your hardness, if, if, if there is a person that's hard in their heart, impenitent, in other words, unrepentant, un, there's no humility, there's no, there's no repentance. You're, you're, tre- you're storing up, you're treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's kind of like you know where Jesus says do not store up for yourselves treasures in he- uh, treasure on earth but treasures in heaven. The sinner is storing up for themselves judgment, he says. He's wanting to paint. He's painting a really bleak picture here, folks. <laughs> it's a really, really bleak picture for the sinner. It's not good. And he says who, who, who will bring his righteous judgment, verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who, who've accepted the, the gospel, who, who've obeyed the gospel. There's an obedience to the gospel, and then there's a disobedience. To those who are obedient to the gospel, they receive everlasting life. To those who are, who are who, he says it this way, to those who obey unrighteousness. And that's kind of a, a different, an interesting way to put that: to obey unrighteousness. To, to you know, there's kind of this thing, where, well, I'm doing this. I'm doing my thing. I'm going my way. I, you're obeying unrighteousness, and there's indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek, and so. Paul is saying all that to say his judgment's coming. It's going to be righteous. It's going to be absolutely perfect. And there's no partiality. He's going to give to one what he deserves. He's going to give one to what they deserve. It's going to to be perfectly laid out. It's going to be to the Jew first, to the Greek. There's no partiality. Years ago, back in uh, 2002, there was... uh, I, we were, I, I, I recall this judge in the 2002 Winter Olympics. And um, it was in the ice skating. And one of the things that's worthwhile watching in, um, in the Winter Olympics, well, there's a couple things. The ice hockey, the luge, <laughs> and the ice skating. Um, especially the couples, because they do all kinds of stuff. And, and so anyways, there was this French judge who basically, this one couple had just completely nailed their, their, their routine. And then this other couple, this Russian couple, got up. And it was not as good. But then the, this French judge gave these ridiculous great scores to, to this routine and it was one of those where I actually remember watching it going, what? Who, who's this French judge? Who, who, wh- wh- what's their name? Anyways, you went later and read all the reports about how this person was just kind of like emotionally, like, you know, there were articles about the, how they were fragile. They, 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 they were put in an awkward position. They were, there were people pressuring them, this and that. And it's like, well, what are you doing being a judge? You can't be a judge. You can't, be ju- you can't be a fragile judge. You can't be a judge that's under pressure. A judge that's under pressure? No, we don't want that. We, wanna, we want someone who's going to make a, a solid decision. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to make a solid decision. He's going to make a righteous judgment. And there's no partiality. Verse 11 there's no partiality with God. Thank the Lord. There's no partiality. He's, he, he's not like that, He's a perfect judge. And he's, he's going to do what's right. And then lastly, God is the standard. God is the standard. Let's pick it up, verse 11. or I'm sorry, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these also not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so the point here is that God is the standard. God is the standard. For as many as have sinned without the law also will perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And so basically he's kind of, in a way, answering that question about what about the people who don't have the gospel? You know, what about the people who don't have, in this this way of saying it, the law? You know, the Jews were kind of privileged in that sense. And Paul certainly makes that argument in this letter that there, there, there was kind of a privilege in that sense. They, they, were the, they were the people that were selected out. I mean, you can be a part of the family. You can come into the commonwealth of Israel. But there was a sense that there was a privilege. They had the law. The law was given by angels to Moses. Moses gave it to the people that was passed down through Israel. And to this day there's a sense in kind of God-fearing Jews, or not even God-fearing, but Jews who kind of have, like, you know, hey, we have the Torah, so to speak. You know, the Torah wasn't given to you people. It was, you know, I think there's a name that they call every the Goyim. You know, <laughs> right? The Gentiles. The, the, the law wasn't given to you, it was given to us. So it's one of the reasons why you, you know, there is an anti Semitism in that sense because you know, people kind of respond to that in, in, in kind of a negative way. But Paul here is kind of answering that question well, what about those without the law? There are people that have raised the question well, what about the people without the gospel? Are they going to be judged? Are they going to be under the judgment of God? And Paul basically says here that God is the standard, and he has, there's a standard of the law that every single person has, has been given. To the Jew, yeah, they receive the Torah, they have the law. To the, to the Gentile, there is a sense of the righteousness of God, the understanding of the standard in each heart. That it's as if to say it this way, that everyone knows what's right. There's, there's an ability to know that there's something that's been kind of given in the, in the heart of man, the conscious of man, to know the right, right what's right and the standard. You know, I think you know, you instinctively know that, you know, to kill someone or to to, to harm someone is not right. You, you you have to you have to have your conscience seared. Paul talks in Ephesians and other places about having a seared conscience. You you know and and, and, and that's why in the raising of kids it's so so Jesus advocated for this absolute, you know, standard of not harming children, and and, and 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 not causing them to sin, and not, you know, in that sense searing their conscience. He says it this way: he says it would be better for them to have a millstone. You know, so you want to get into like you know things about child abuse and training kids, and you see these horror stories uh, 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 of this type of stuff. But you have to have kind of a seared conscience to get there. Mm-hmm. But but God has, there's a standard and God is the standard and he's placed that within each person and there's that ability to know it. Okay. And this isn't to be confused with why there is a standard. And this is one thing that atheists kind of confuse. Because one of the things that in debates about the existence of God, one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, uh, proofs for the existence of God is the, is the moral argument. And it's this, the idea of, um, you know, without God, you know, who is to say, uh, who is to classify what's moral or not? What, what's the grounding, what's the basis for morality if there's no God? It's, it's just, if there's no God, if there's no standard that the morality that we understand, that we can know that, that it's grounded in God... Without that, it's not grounded in anything. And it's just something that groups of people throughout time have agreed upon. Mm-hmm. And that's why they can, you know, time can pass and we can get together and agree on a different standard. We can come up with this. We can say, well, no, that's really okay. Mm-hmm. And this is bad. You know, we're, we're experiencing that right in our, now in our nation mm-hmm. where, where that, that process is happening. We're now, now we're agreeing, we're not agreeing, but you know, the culture is saying, the people are saying, "This is OK, but this is really bad over here." And God, the, 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 point, the point there is that we can know it. We can know what's right, And, um, and that ability, that, that ability to know. Is because it it exists, and and if and if and if it if it's not grounded in God, there's there's not an absolute foundation of morality, and that's why God is the standard, and He's placed that standard within each person. And uh, so, whether they're Jews, whether they're Gentiles, um, Paul gets into this idea here in closing about people trying to keep the law and do the law and the, 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 the picture that he's painted here is that, yeah, if you do the law you'll be okay you'll be judged righteous the problem is, and the, the point he's going to make as we go through and we go into the rest of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 is that, well, we can't do it <laughs> you know, we, th- th- there's an idea of that if, if we did it we, we'd be good But the point is that we can't. And we're left with a situation where we need the gospel. We need the gospel of Christ. And you only get to that point of saying, I need the gospel if there's a judgment to escape. Amen? If there's no judgment to escape, if there's, there's not a righteous judgment where God is going to judge, there's nothing to escape. There's nothing that would... Im- 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 there's no imperative to, 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 to repent. There's no imperative to be penitent. There's no pe- imperative to be humble before God. There's no imperative to receive the goodness, the kindness, the mercy, the grace. There's no imperative to, to, to receive Christ. As my Lord and Savior, and to let Him be my Lord. But there there is an imperative. There is that there because there is a judgment. And that's why it's so important that we hold on to the gospel and we present the gospel um, as much as we can. And understanding that Jesus came to pay a price. He came and paid the price. Um, He took the judgment of God on our behalf. The chastisement, the punishment, the, the judgment of God was literally on Christ, on the cross. And that's what the message of the gospel is. And so where will you stand, where will I stand on judgment day? Well, if I'm standing in Christ I'm standing in that place where I'm standing where God has already judged sin my sin in Christ. And I find myself in that place and one of my favorite psalms is where the psalmist says blessed is the man whose sin will never be counted against him. Blessed is the man whose sin will never be counted against Him. Why? Because that sin has been taken care of by Christ. He's taken it. He's taken the judgment. He's taken the chastisement. The punishment for our peace was upon Him. Amen? And that's why we can have this understanding of a righteous judgment of God, but yet He's so loving so compassionate, so merciful and grace, filled with grace that we we, we just have a great God. He's full of grace and truth.